0: A squiggly career is a career where there is a high level of unpredictability and uncertainty, but also a lot of possibility and opportunity.
1: Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship this show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes i'm so excited to introduce today's 40 minute mentor. To you might have listened to her podcast squiggly careers seen her in the latest linkedin tv advert or read her best selling book, The Squiggly Career. It's none other than the co founder and CEO of Amazing If, the brilliant Helen Tupper. I have followed Helen and Sarah's journey with Amazing If for a little while now, and I'm a big fan of their podcast myself. So it was an absolute pleasure to invite Helen on the podcast. And she really didn't disappoint. Today's episode is packed full of mentorship and brilliant advice including why we need to embrace a squiggly career rather than follow the traditional linear career ladder. We discuss how managers can support their teams with career development. And we explore how Helen and Sarah have managed to build a successful business and an awesome squiggly community, all while maintaining their amazing friendship. I learned so much from speaking to Helen. So no matter what stage you're at, whether it's a graduate, a founder, or just somebody that is in need of some career advice, you'll gain so many insights from this episode. And if you enjoy it, please make sure you check out their podcast, Squiggly Careers, and secure yourself a copy of their upcoming book, You Coach You. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with the incredible Helen Tupper. Helen, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. It's wonderful to have you here today.
0: Thank you very much for inviting me on.
1: Awesome. No, it's an absolute pleasure. We always like to get our guests to do a quick fire round to, to kick things off, to warm you up. So if you don't mind finishing these sentences, we will get into it. Is that cool?
0: Yes. Off we go. Ready, Raring.
1: Awesome. When I was younger, I always wanted to be...
0: A geologist.
1: Ooh, different. I like that. Any particular reason?
0: My uncle was, and I don't think I knew anything about the world of work. So I just attached myself to someone in my family. Also, I do really like shiny stones. So that was probably (laughs) the logic behind it. I'm rubbish at geography, but I like shiny things.
1: That is something, yeah. I I must admit, I had like a truckload of stones that I used to take around with me, amethysts and things like that. Yeah, that's a good one. Right, second question. My first job was?
0: So very, very first one I got money for was working in the corner shop. You know behind the counter in my village there weren't many well there weren't many jobs in a, a small village in Lincolnshire I think I found the only one working for the corner shop
1: that's a good I think that's a good start to to your Customer career service actually. Skills, yeah, commerciality definitely. yeah I love it <laughs> <laughs> amazing when starting my career, I wish I'd have known
0: that the earlier you nurture your network the
1: better that is such a good one that is such good as from someone that has Spent years trying to convince people networking isn't a dirty thing. Uh, I think there's a lot in that. Thank you. I'm most energized at work when I
0: am talking to clients. I love it. I love it. I I will text my business partner afterwards and I'll be like, we're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing that. And she'll be like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm not so good or energized by creating all the plans and proposals. But in that moment, talking to clients and coming up with solutions, I, I love it.
1: We are so alike. That is exactly what I would answer. (laughs) And finally, can you share something we wouldn't learn from your CV that could be a perceived failure or a setback in your career that you've learned a lot from?
0: Do you know, it's not a failure, actually. It's just that three of the companies that I went to work for, and I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit more, but the job that I started that company to do, um, and the one that I'd sort of changed my previous organization or to go to this brand new company, do this brand new job, those jobs change within three months of me joining the company. So it's almost like the dream that I've, I've been like, oh, I'm going to apply for this job. I'm going to go to work for Microsoft or go to work for Virgin. Yeah, within three months and actually within Virgin, within one day of joining the company, the job that I'd intended and joined to do changed completely. So I think it, has, it just taught me to be adaptable and to join the company more than the job. Because then the change doesn't really matter because you're in the right place. You've just got to find the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, that's that's great advice. I know, really interesting. Thank thank you so much, Helen. I think we've already got a great little glimpse into you and I'm really keen to dig into your amazing career and particularly talk about Amazing If. But before we do, I think it'd be good to, to start a, a little bit on earlier parts of your career and the lessons you've learned along the way. So you mentioned a couple of the brands you've, you've worked for. So Virgin, Microsoft, some really Big hitting corporates. What did you take from sort of your experience in those types of global organisations, and what were some of your personal highlights from that first part of your career?
0: So, what did I take from them? I I took that large organisations are complex places, but sometimes unnecessarily so, just because they have a lot of people and a lot of processes, and that actually you don't always have to be the smartest person in the room, or the person that's worked there the longest, actually, you can add a lot of value in a large organization by being the person who creates clarity. And I think that because I was never, you know, I never stayed in any organization for a really long time, I was never going to be the most expert in that industry, or in that organization. But I think I was always very good at creating clarity. And that helped me to make a difference quite quickly. So I think that's probably one of the main things that I learned from working in those different organisations. And then the second thing, like some I guess some of the memorable moments. Loads, loads for different reasons. I remember being at Microsoft and Microsoft have I mean I don't know what's going on at the moment with all things all things COVID, but they have this annual conference called Inspire and you they you, you know they went went to Vegas and everybody they have these people that they take from all over the world, go to Vegas and we're like thousands. I think it's like 10, 15,000 people go from Microsoft to this epic event. In Vegas, and it made me feel the power of an organization that was that big and had that much impact on the world and I think I sat there honestly a bit in awe James. I was like, "Wow, I am the smallest little i'm like an ant in this large organization, but to feel the energy of that business at this this big epic event that that, that felt really you know it was a memorable moment and then you know, before that at Virgin, I had the opportunity to launch a brand new business for Virgin like from scratch, design it, pitch it, get it started. And I never dreamed that I would have the opportunity to do something like that. And I loved it. And I learned a lot in doing it about myself and about starting a business, which I then I guess I then I guess I took all of that into my own business as well.
1: Yeah, I think and I think that's one of the interesting things. It doesn't I don't think it needs to be either or when it comes to corporate life and, or startup life. You can take so much from you know, working in organization, bigger organizations that you then take into your startups. And I, I certainly did that myself. We talked to a lot of candidates about the pros and cons of, of working for bigger organizations versus high growth startups and scale-ups, which is the, the types of companies that we recruit into. What initially drew you to those bigger brands? And if you were to start over again, would you do anything different?
0: If I think about, so I guess the big brands on my CV, most of my CV is made up of big brands and I work for a very small one, which is my own. But, um, you know, Procter & Gamble, Microsoft, Capital One, Eon, BP, but lots of big brands. I like the scale that those organizations have, the global element, the number of customers they have, the budgets. And I think I was, you know, one of my values is achievement And I think the earlier part of my career, I think I'd got into my head that the bigger the brand, the bigger the achievement. And so that I was sort of connecting to that by working for some of those companies. I I think more laterally in my career, I have, I've kind of realized that achievement, it doesn't, you don't have to be working for a large organization to have a significant sense of achievement. Actually, now I work for a very small business, but I have a very big sense of achievement. So I think I've got, I've got to that realization more recently, but it was, a, I think it, in my earlier career, working for a big brown was a shortcut to getting that sense of achievement that was so important to me.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And we we hear that a lot. You mentioned values there. I think that's really interesting. Do you have like a set uh, sort of value set that you kind of live your life to and you know when it comes to careers because that's that's really interesting. I'd love to yeah, delve into so that. I
0: have um I have four core values which I reflected on with a coach, oh, I don't know, 10 12 years ago and have sort of stuck with me since and very helpful as a guide for my career. And um, so they are freedom, growth, energy and achievement. And I reflect on them regularly to help me to be happy in my work. So if I'm ever a bit like, "Mm, this doesn't quite feel right, going to my values is the first thing that I do to try and work out why. And whenever I have choices in front of me, you know, do I go and be a trustee for that charity? Or is this where I want to take my role in my own business? Whenever I'm faced with a career choice, before I find myself a little bit swayed by like a shiny object like oh that would be a good new title to have and someone else's opinion or expectation about what i should do i always think about my values and think well which one of these options gives me more freedom growth energy and achievement and it just balances me a little bit when i might find myself a little bit swayed by one of those things
1: yeah i love that i i think that's something that probably a lot of people listening maybe don't have but maybe should and I'm one of them actually I've never distilled it like that but I think I'm definitely a bit of a magpie I, I like I love talking to people I loved as as you just said I love talking to new clients and winning work and I think probably one of the downsides of that is you can overstretch yourself and it kind of gets a bit overwhelming at times so I think sometimes just having that a kind of barometer that you, you live by that you just sort of say, does this fit in? I think that's a great way of looking at things. So thank you for sharing that. Together with your friend and co-founder, um, Sarah Ellis, you you ultimately decided to kind of move away from that corporate world and pursue Amazing If as a full-time organization. So do you mind sharing with our listeners a bit about that that journey and how you knew it was the right time to kind of take the plunge and leave that safety net of, uh, uh, of a corporate
0: yeah, so we started the business as a side project uh, with no intention of it ever being a business. So I was at Virgin, so it was 2013. I was at Virgin, like launching that business that I mentioned. Sarah was at Sainsbury's. Uh, she was head of corporate social responsibility. And we we're both really happy, really happy in what we're doing, loving big company life. And our teams were getting bigger, so we were managing more people. And Sarah and I, for context, we'd gone to university together back in like 2001. We'd been at university together and we'd stayed friends since. Uh, We just happened to be reflecting on our own careers in 2013. And one of the things that we realized was that we were really happy in our careers. We're like, isn't this amazing? But that actually, a lot of people that either were working for us or were coming to us for some form of career support, like a mentoring kind of relationship, they were less happy. (laughs) And they all seemed to have really similar questions, like don't really know what I want to do. Don't know if I'm doing the right thing. Don't feel like I'm making the difference that I want. And when we tried to find them some sources of support, it just didn't feel quite right. It was either a bit academic. It was a bit like, here's some research that they've done over here, which didn't really feel kind of energizing or practical enough. Or it was a little bit too aspirational, inspirational, you know, like the nice quote, you stick on a wall, go just do a job you love. And it didn't feel like there was this practical stuff in in the middle that could actually help people take action. And so we said, well, why don't we like join forces? there have been some things that have helped us, Sarah and I spark off each other. And we thought we can create any gaps that we think are in this kind of source of support. And so we started running evening courses in London. And we did that for a really long time. We would do our day jobs twice a month, we'd run to this venue that we hired in London. And we'd run these evening sessions. And we used to give about half the places away. And half the places were paid for us. And as long as it covered the room rent that we paid at the time which is 250 pounds a night as long as it covered that we were like it's fine because our job is to help people at the time we've talked about having happier careers and that's what matters and you know <laughs> we've learned a lot from those sessions sometimes we had 30 people sometimes we had six people and I'd be like this is an intimate session tonight let's let's get into a circle uh, and we learned a lot about career development and and people and and how to deliver learning that lasts And that started to scale. So those people started to go into their organisations and say, oh, could you come into my company and do this? And so we started using our holiday from Virgin and Sainsbury's to deliver these sessions. And then it started getting bigger. Our teams were getting bigger. We had some children between us and some of the, you know, the reality of running a side project that started scaling alongside a corporate career that was also gaining quite a lot of momentum it started to become unsustainable at one point. And so I was at Microsoft. Microsoft were talking to me about doing my next role. And at the time I was commercial marketing director and they were talking to me about doing my next role at the same time as Penguin were talking to us about our book deal. And I thought, hmm, (laughs) this may be one one plate too many spinning. And that was the point at which I thought, you know, make the leap. What is the worst that can happen? You can't viably scale the business it, it can't pay for you it can't pay for Sarah and in which case you know make that decision relatively quickly and go go back to your marketing career and, you, and you, you'll still have the credibility to to do that and so I left Microsoft in 2018 and I worked on the business for a year without Sarah she was managing director of an ad agency at that point and after a year of me scaling it so the business didn't have to sustain two you know, salaries. Sarah came over after a year and and then that was sort of 2019. And it's been growing quite quickly ever since then
1: amazing oh i I love that it's a true example of a a side hustle that becomes a a, you know a great business and uh i I love the fact that you took the plunge and just went for it and it clearly had i guess you'd been building it over a number of years so you'd kind of had the validation from all those customers and it just evolved quite organically but I, i to be honest with you i'd heard about you guys from so many different sources and then started listening to the podcast and i just i absolutely love what you do and it's really inspiring and there's somebody that has spent my whole career helping others all, all around their careers as well it's just something that I really really admire and um, yeah firstly massive uh, kudos and congrats to you guys for for all that you've done. I'm particularly interested as a solo founder myself I'm always curious when I see people that have built a business with a co-founder or, or and a friend in your instance so how did you decide that it was the right thing to do together and how has that impacted your friendship as you've built and and run the business together? Because I can't imagine it's always plain sailing.
0: Well, yeah, it's really interesting. So back in 2013, I think Sarah had already been doing some sort of career development sessions for people for a charity, actually. And so she'd sort of had this idea. And I think one of the things that I'm really good uh, doing is running with an idea, running with it, scaling it quickly. And so she kind of got this little nugget and I was like, right, we could do something with this. And I would book the venue and I would get it all done. And I sometimes I almost move things forward too quickly. I will take an idea and it, 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 will, it will be in the world before you before you know about it. And so I think Sarah and I recognized that we had a shared passion and different strengths to bring to it. And we saw that really quickly and, and we have sustained that throughout our business. So we love working together. We love helping people with their careers. And we both recognize that we bring very different things to the table, but they are actually really complementary, And we never compete with each other. So I'm never trying to be better than Sarah, the things that she's good at. We, I just, I really admire that Sarah's great at coming up with ideas. And I really admire that she's thoughtful and considered. And she, I think, admires my speed and my pace and the fact that I, I i you know i really like making things happen and so that's been that's been really really helpful for us we we always talk about being friends first so being friends first and fixing friction fast so when it comes to it we will always respect the relationship that we have together and that helps us to prioritize that over growing the business like if there was a choice between oh the last 12 months has felt really hard we've been disconnected from each other and the next twelve months, we could continue as is and grow the business, or we could reinvest in our relationship. Sarah and I would pick the relationship we would invest in the relationship for the long term rather than short term business growth and we now know each other well enough to see when we are doing something which causes friction, so maybe Sarah's deliberating for something gone too long and i'm and I'm trying to get it get it moving forward. We know that that is one of our pressure points because she wants to pause and talk about stuff and I want to get it moving. And now we can call that really quickly and say, look, we know that we're both going to get annoyed at each other here. Let's put everything else to one side and move that agenda item to the top because neither of us are going to concentrate on the other stuff anyway. And then we just got very good at calling it now in you know a 20-year friendship. We've been working together now for nearly 10 years on the business. And I think it just gives us that insight into each other
1: that's so interesting, and that's it 's so great that you 've got that sort of partnership where one you can deal with you can kind of quash things quite quickly and you kind of know when something might yeah might be causing a bit of conflict but then also, as you said earlier there's that spark between you that you just spark off each other and you re, you really have those complementary skills how How do you split the responsibilities within the business at the moment? how does that work, and do you have any advice for Any co-founders listening that might be just starting off on this journey right now about how they can kind of manage it effectively?
0: Yeah, so I'm officially the CEO of the business. So I do all the finances and I guess some of the behind the scenes work that might be more administrative. And Sarah is kind of officially kind of our learning lead. So she does a lot of learning, learning design to some extent, they're slightly arbitrary titles, like it's useful to have a CEO of a business. But I think what we recognize is that there are certain things that we are better at and that we enjoy doing. And we we are crafting our roles around those things. So I do, I do like the operations of a business. And as our business grows, that is a role that I would like to grow into as well. I've never been a CEO before. So I think I, I look at that role and want to grow with it. So we divided those jobs up based on what energizes us and what we recognize that we both have strengths in and we also drop the ego like I think that's that would probably be my advice like think about what is the word that energizes you where do you bring the biggest uh, value to the business based on your strengths and therefore what, what does it make sense for you to do job-wise and drop the ego from that decision like some people have co-CEOs you know that and that's fine but when you take the ego away from it, I think you can just make sort of more logical, practical decisions about where people have the most value.
1: That's such great advice. It does. I think ego is the one of the biggest killer of businesses, isn't it? We we often do see sadly with some of the startups we've worked with over the years that some of the very best founders are the ones that know when to step aside for the good of their business and to take it to the next level or when to bring in certain expertise because they're just that you know you get to the point when you're running a business don't you that you're you're kind of doing everything you're a bit of a generalist then comes to the point in scale where you just need to bring in experts and there's no shame in that is there it's 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 actually says a lot about you i think as a leader that you can kind of drop the ego and actually bring someone in so that's that's such a good point I just wanted to give a special shout out and thanks to our sponsors for this series, Chipper Cash. The team have been on an incredible journey, having launched their borderless way to send money across Africa and beyond in eight countries so far, and are widely considered to be Africa's most valuable startup. So go check them out at chippercash.com or tune in to our 40 Minute mental episode with their co-founder and CEO, Ham Serenjoji. We haven't yet really touched upon squiggly careers which is something that you're particularly well known for and I'd love to touch upon that now because this concept you've come up with is, is turned into this obviously a fantastic business, you've got a book, you've got this fantastic podcast. So to start us off, how do you define a squiggly career and why do traditional career development programs not work for today's workforce?
0: Okay, so what is a squiggly career? A squiggly career is a career where there is a high level of unpredictability and uncertainty, but also a lot of possibility and opportunity. It's the idea that we are not expected to all develop in the same direction, that success isn't the same for all of us, and that we can't plan our way to some kind of predictable future. It's basically the reality of most people's work. <laughs> and the thing that we really want to people to do is to lose the idea of the ladder because that starts to really limit more people than it helps. It starts to hold more people back. Just the idea that there's a, a one size fits all version of a good career and that moving in different directions is somehow bad. It just stops people from being their best at work and from exploring like different directions. And so we just want to create careers that give people more permission to find out what they enjoy doing, what they do brilliantly, and where they might go in the future. You know, just, like, let's explore some options. And I think when we give people that permission and we create organisations and environments that enable people to have that movement and have that freedom in their careers, People are more committed, they're more engaged, they they actually stay longer in their organizations when they have the freedom to move around their company. Like we want people to squiggle and stay. That's what we are really squiggly careers don't mean bouncing around from job to job and company to company. Though, you know, if that's what someone's squiggly career is about, we don't want to kind of make that bad. But what we really want people to have the opportunity to do is to squiggle and stay in an organisation because it's when someone is restricted and their career is constrained that they actually are more likely to to leave a company and that company will lose that value of that person.
1: Squiggle and stay. I love that. I absolutely love that because I think we see far too often we're talking to people that are unhappy in their jobs and the only way that they see as the the way they only see a way out effectively and so they come to us and they're looking for external opportunities and it's a real shame because you know in many of those instances they are yeah there's lots of good in that, that company they've done a great job and you'd like to think of there's a slightly different i don't know culture in the firm that they could actually maybe try different things and that's certainly something that i've thought about from my from my own business for jbm you know we want to buck the trend in recruitment of attrition after you know a year or 18 months we'd love and, and we've been lucky enough to have people stay for for a few years and we really want to keep that and part of it i think is making sure there is opportunity to try new things and you know progress so i, I think that's that, that's just it's really interesting and i, I can see why this is really caught on i think it's safe to say with the pandemic over the last 18 months it has changed the way we work and i think things are unlikely to go back to exactly the same way they were and i think that's definitely a good thing in many ways What changes have you seen through your work with Amazing If and and how do you think these new ways of working will affect people's career development? Sort of how do they approach it? How should companies support them, et cetera?
0: I mean, practically, for amazing If, our business has, has really evolved as a result of it. In that we, you know, we used to go into organisations and rooms and deliver training, uh, and now we do it in Zoom all over the world, and we do lots more sessions than a day. So, from a very practical perspective, it has allowed us to reach far, far more people, which has been amazing in terms of us. Our mission is to make careers better for everyone, and we can just reach more people. So that's really powerful in terms of the individuals themselves and how it's changed careers and their development. I think that. The first thing I think people have a bit more power now because they have they have reconsidered. A lot of people have sort of re- reflected on their career and thought, well, what What does work look like now? Some of the noise that went around my job has gone, and by noise I mean the commute, the location of the office, the people that I work with on a day to day basis, the buzz in the the all of that was it's, it's a lovely noise. But that's a lot quieter now, and I think when the volume's turned down on those things, the volume turns up on the actual job that you're doing. <laughs> I think people are like, "Is this what I really want to do now all of that other noise has gone, and actually, now I'm no longer constrained perhaps by having to live near an office or you know where where I have to live myself because I can work remotely does that create more choices for me? And if you look at, you look at the job market at the moment, yes, <laughs> it does give you, there are more choices in the job market. And I think individuals have a little more, little more power over that. So the flip side is, I think therefore you there need to take ownership for your career. Like, yes, you might have more choice and yes, you might have reflected more on what, what good work looks like for you, but you now also need to have more ownership over your career. You need to be able to work out You know, what are the strengths that you want to be known for and how are you stretching those strengths and how are you building your brand so it's meaningful for your your current employer or your future employer? The point we talked about network earlier, so many of your opportunities will come through your network. So are you actively building the relationships that you need now or in the future? And I think it's those you've got more choice, you've got more power. Amazing. But grasp that opportunity, because if you don't, you might start to stagnate in a squiggly career. And it's, it's those two bits that have to go together so that people get the most out of the, of the opportunity and possibility that exists in a squiggly career.
1: Thanks, Helen. Yeah, amazing advice there for, for everyone listening. And I guess I'm I'm interested, how has this changed? And, and as you, you mentioned, the power in some ways is, is with the individual now. How has it manifested itself in terms of what people are coming to, to Amazing If for and your podcast? So there are particular recurring themes that keep cropping up that you've seen, particularly in the last 18 months, people are going, I really want your help for X, Y or Z.
0: Yeah. So there's, I think there's two things that we have seen both in our, in the sessions that we did with organizations and the, the, just the direct contact that we have from people. And that is the theme around confidence and possibilities. So maybe if I expand on that a little bit, change is not easy. <laughs> like uh, I, I, You know, it affects our confidence. It's, it's, it makes us think, am I, am I doing the right thing? You know, what control do I have over this situation? And, you know, doubts can start to really hold us back. So we get a lot of questions to help people with their confidence. And, you know, there are lots of things that we can do there. I think one of the most important things we talk about caging your confidence gremlins. And I think one of the most important things for people to recognize is that it's often their own thoughts that get in their way. Like it's not James saying, Helen, you're not very good at podcasting or that failure that you made, that should really define you for your future. It's not you saying that to me. It's me saying that to me that actually gets in my way. And we create our own stories for ourselves, our own confidence gremlins that get in our way. And one of the most important things that you can do is sometimes like use your doubts as data a little bit. Like what, what is that voice saying to you? And, you know, we call that like a limiting belief. Like what is this thing that you're saying to yourself that is getting in your way and how could you turn that into a limitless belief? So when you are in that moment, when that confidence gremlin rears its head, what can you say to yourself that sounds different and moves you forward so to give you an example like on the on the failure one that might sound like at its worst if i fail i am a failure so i've made like an incident my identity if i fail at like talking to james on this podcast i am a failure for the rest of my career not helpful it means that i will never i will never go on a podcast again it's not a helpful thing to have a limiting belief what i might say is okay if i fail I never fail to learn. I may fail, I probably will fail. It's sort of inevitable if you're going to do things differently. But if I fail, I never fail to learn. So the thing that I am going to own is my ability to learn through any situation that I'm in that you know, that I will that I'll grow through what I go through. That is a much more helpful thing for me to say to myself in a situation that I find hard. So I think Confidence in getting people to reframe their beliefs has been has been an important thing. And then the other thing would be the future possibilities, like helping people to see that there are different directions that they can develop in and then giving them the tools to do it. Because it, it's one thing to say it and it's another to see it. So you, you've got to say to yourself. OK, yeah, I think I can squiggle. And then you're like, just, just give me some tools, Helen, to help me. And and that's what we, you know, to that point of where we started, like one of our business values is useful, which is like a really boring value. and But I'm, I'm fine with that. We just want to be, we want to give people these tools that they can, you know, explore their possibilities and take some action for themselves. But yeah, they would be the two things I think that most frequently have come to us in the last or six, 10 months.
1: It's so great to hear that. And I'm sure that will resonate with a lot of listeners. And Confidence Gremlin, it's just a great way. It's a great mental image, that that Gremlin on your shoulder that just kind of gets in the way and actually yeah. just framing it in a more positive light. is just such a good way of looking at things. We just kind of alluded to the the podcast earlier and and talking about you guys being very useful in terms of the work you do. I think the podcast, we've certainly felt from, from our own perspective, it is a great way to for people to consume information and learn and be inspired, hopefully. And I know for a fact that you've had an incredible listenership over the years and it's really an important part of what you do. So how did the idea for the podcast come about and how has it helped with the overall brand and business? I'd love to learn a bit about your experience of it.
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting. So actually it started with confidence. So when we, we started the podcast in 2017, because we'd recognized that confidence is a big challenge that's holding people back. And we wanted to write a little ebook to help people. We were like, we can't just do these sessions in London, but we need to help people who aren't in London, (laughs) who knew. And so we wrote this ebook on how to cage your confidence gremlins. And we'd identified the The 10 most common confidence gremlins, like the one around failure, uh, like senior people, not being liked, being found out. They're some of the most common gremlins that we we kind of help people with. And we thought, well, let's do a podcast. We've got the book, got the e-book and get that out to people. And then let's do a podcast so that... You know, we can reach more people that way. And so we recorded this like 10 episode series. And James, we did not know what we were doing. It was super scripted. And the agency that we worked with were like, You're better without the script. Maybe like don't don't have the script and just talk to each other. And that has been a reoccurring theme that people quite like the dynamic between Sarah and I. And then we, we kind of heard it then. And we just we were only ever gonna do these these episodes, we invested in it with the money that we'd earned from all those evening courses. We put all of that into doing this this first thing, and it was just to help people. And honestly, like twenty people listened. <laughs> it did not have did so not many right. people it's listened. But well, it's fine. I mean, I, a lot of them were our family, but that was fine. <laughs> that was fine. But I think we realised that we quite enjoyed doing it, and so our starting point was, oh, maybe maybe we could we could do that more. And I think it was twenty eighteen when we decided we'd do a weekly podcast and we'd start to take sort of broader topic areas, not not just confidence. And then we just stuck at it. I think the thing I don't you know now it's it's you know it's got a large listenership now and thankfully it's quite what I would call a sticky listenership. Like people listen through to the end and lots of people come back and they recommend and it's the best thing. And I don't really know what the secret of the Squidgy podcast is but the only thing i do know is that we are just a bit relentless like we drop an episode every week and we've dropped an episode every week since 2018 and there are something like 235 episodes now and we sometimes think will we run out of a topic to talk about on careers and and we haven't yet and we've you know we brought different guests just like you do uh, along the way but i think as long as we are always learning from each other And as long as you don't get too led by listener numbers, which goes back to that ego point, as as long as it's a weekly conversation where Sarah and I learn from each other, that's sort of good enough for us. Like it, and it drops the pressure off it being an amazing episode or a brilliant podcast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I I really admire that because I must say, I love doing the podcast, but it it is quite hard work. And uh, and it's, and it's uh, because I love talking to people and I always want, I want every conversation to be amazing. And, and, You know i i think just the way you've been able to do it just so consistently i kind of got drained after doing sort of i guess it was about 50 episodes on the bounce over a couple of years and that wasn't that was kind of monthly i was just like oh i'm going to take a little breather now so i i just have huge admiration for you there's a lot to learn but i think there is something about the way you've built that listenership and community to just you, just it's so consistent, and I think people know what they kind of they know what they're getting. You know, your wonderful dynamic, talking about you know actionable things that that actually affect us all. So I can totally see how it's so popular, and I I really enjoy listening. Can't say I've listened to all two hundred and thirty five <laughs> episodes, but you know what, James, I've listened to a people few. People they
0: tell us that they're like they and. I think so many things when I say that I think oh my gosh those first ones I don't want to listen back to them myself and then I also think you'll remember our podcast probably better than I will like we sometimes people say to us oh in episode 42 you mentioned this model on (laughs) motivation and I'm like I mean I can't I can't remember that model off the top of my head I'm gonna have to listen back
1: (laughs) I honestly my brain becomes like a sieve these days so it's just too there's there's not enough space in this small brain of mine but I'm I'm a big admirer and um yeah it, it certainly taught me a lot in terms of just being consistent and 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 keeping it going so thank you for that we are getting towards the end of our conversation but i really want to touch upon community because from the just initially from the night classes you were doing in the very early days to a huge listenership on the podcast what you've clearly done is build a, a really incredible community that love what you do and and clearly get huge benefit from it do you have any pointers or advice for anyone listening that's looking to build a community it might be for a podcast it might be for a startup or or whatever but but what are some of the secrets to your success
0: secrets to success it sounds so grand doesn't it on the community front it's really strange despite both Sarah and I having had quite senior corporate roles in marketing which included marketing strategy I think we've really applied that to our own business so there was never this like strategic intent that was like let's go build this community I guess we think about networking which i think community sort of falls within that as people helping people that's how we define networking and amazing people helping people and when you start with what you have got to give the research on this which adam grant an academic at water has done a lot of work on it shows that the givers get more and, and it's we kind of talk about it as like our language is uh, career karma like go go cultivate career karma and i actually think our community is just just based on that we we try to give as much as we can to help make careers better for everybody and we try to do that as accessibly as we can so that what I mean by that is we, we put a lot out for free like obviously the podcast is, is is for free we create these pod sheets and pod tools we do pod plus every week which is a free zoom session that people can join who want to be part of a learning community and we will always invest in our business to make career development as accessible as we can for everybody and so I guess we we focus a lot on how to be helpful and starting at that point of being a giver and I think we've done that enough and we've done it in a genuine enough way that people seem to want to help us in return, and they do that by taking us into their companies, which is amazing because that's the you know the commercial part of our business is the work that we do there. We don't have to sell to do that. They they advocate for us in their organisations, and it's amazing, and it's and it's so generous of them. They will, you know, write us reviews on podcasts, which is always lovely. It's quite motivating, you know, because you have that conversation. And I talked to Sarah, but we don't really know if anyone else listens until someone. Leaves you the review, or they share about it. Otherwise, it's just a digital recording. If you're talking to your best friend, right, about careers, it's when you get the feedback or the the comments that you realise, oh, there is someone that has connected with that concept or has found that idea helpful. And so, yeah, I think people just generously give back because we genuinely give to them, and we just keep try to keep that that squiggly cycle going. I suppose.
1: Yeah, and it's so authentic, and I think that's it. If you're if you're forcing it or ramming stuff down people's throats, it's, it's just not quite the same. Whereas if it's just like it's selflessly just kind of giving up time to try and add some value and help people with their careers. I think that really comes across and, and you can see why that has kind of resulted in that word of mouth growth. And it's just very organic. And I, I it's, it's something that I've always wanted our business to be that way as well and I think it it makes it that much more enjoyable to be honest with you and when you don't have to go out and smash down doors and be selling all the time then that's just an added bonus isn't it if you can kind of let your ambassadors and advocates as you say do do the selling for you so that's that's really helpful thank you final thing before we get to our wrap-up questions I just want to talk about pivoting careers because we have Lots of candidates that we talk to on a daily basis that come to us because they want to move from banking into tech or 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 maybe leave consulting to do something slightly different. What's your advice for anyone listening to this that that wants to change and and what are some of the sort of key criteria people should consider when they're making a big decision about their the next step in their career?
0: so yeah, career pivots are increasingly increasingly common, I think are definitely an interesting option for people to explore in their career. I think sometimes one of the things that holds people back from doing a career pivot is they focus more on what they've not got than what they can bring. So it's almost like, oh, I I would like to go and work in a completely different industry. But in their mind, they're like, oh, but I don't know anybody there. And I don't know that industry very well. And it can really hold them back from either applying in the first place or feeling confident in an initial interview discussion. And I think you have to be Confident about the unique things that you bring, rather than trying to apologise for what you've not got. So, if I and I'll give you a personal example. When I moved from Virgin to Microsoft, there was a lot that I didn't have. So, the role that I the initial role I went into at Microsoft was to be director of audience evangelism. So, I was working in the really deep tech part of that business with people who knew machine learning and AI in and out, and I did not. So, I could not compete with that expertise. I didn't know the industry. I didn't know Microsoft. I was not a deep technical specialist. Like, there's, there's no point in me attempting to pretend that I was. But what I did bring was a lot of different ideas. I was very creative. I was very pacey. I could make things happen. And I focused more on my unique talents that I was bringing rather than you know, this deep technical knowledge, which they could get from people that were already in the business. If they wanted that, they'd already got it. They, why, why buy me? You're buying me for something different. So I think own your difference. Don't try to, you know, pretend that you're something you're you're not. And then the second thing that I would say is to build a bridge to the place that you want to pivot to. So you might not be there now, but you can still start to build your brand in that, in that area. So I could still, I could have, started a blog, for example, about marketing and technology, I could have started to mentor people or get mentored from people in that area. I could have started going to some networking events or be part of communities, either virtual or in person, that operated in that space. And what it would mean is that even though I didn't have the job yet... I was starting to build a profile and a community and a w and an awareness of where I wanted to get to, and I think that shows a lot of willing in an interview when somebody might be placing a bit of a bet on you
1: totally and it's something we really encourage as well and sometimes it's it's actually a really good way of knowing if it's really the right move for you. I think there's often this uh, in, in in the work that we do a lot of people coming out of big corporations. Wanting to go into technology startups, they are very, very different, especially if you're going into an early stage business where there aren't the resources, you often have to take a 50% pay cut. And so actually by testing the waters and getting into those ecosystems, whether it's advisory work or pro bono stuff or or just going up to meetups and, and, and talking to people in the space. Sometimes that actually is clarified in in other people's minds that actually it might not be quite the right move, but at least they've explored that and they've kind of tested it. So I think that's, that's a really, really good point.
0: You can practice pivoting as well. Like you can, you know, we talk about like degrees of pivot, and that, and the biggest one is like complete new job, complete new industry. That's like a massive pivot. But actually, even within the organisation that you might be in at the moment, you can practice pivoting. Like you could just go into a horizontal move, like a completely different function, and that might give you some sense of oh, how do I adapt quickly? How do I make an impact really quickly? So you know, it's all likely we're going to do pivots in the future. Start practicing pivots today. Like that's, you know, do a squiggly horizontal move and you'll learn some of those skills that will help you with your, maybe your bigger pivots in the future.
1: Love that. Yeah. Thank you, Helen. That's such a good advice. We are sadly at our wrap up questions. I could talk to you for hours, but we've got three to go. The first one is obviously going to be about mentorship. It'd be silly not to ask you, do you have a mentor? And if there was one person in the world that could be your mentor, who would it be?
0: Yes, I have lots of mentors. I'm actually meeting one of them this week. Interestingly, it is an old, an old manager, not old in age. You might not love me for saying that, but uh, um, it's actually a manager from Virgin. And my top tip actually would be, I think previous managers can make brilliant mentors, particularly if they've been quite challenging to work for, because I think they, they, they take on a slightly different context as a future mentor. So yes, I'm meeting one of my old managers who is now my mentor this week and I really admire, (laughs) I'm going to aim high, Esther Perel, who is a a relationship psychologist. And I think I would love to be mentored by her in terms of how I can really effectively build different relationships with people. I just think her insights into people are fascinating. And I feel that I could build even better relationships if I borrowed a bit of her wisdom. And I think that's what mentorship is all about is borrowing, borrowing different people's wisdom. And I think she is Someone that I really admire and has bags of it.
1: That's a great one, thank you. And given all of the success you've had, and I know there's you've, you've probably only just scratched the surface in terms of what you're doing with the business. What do you want to be remembered of at the end of your career?
0: I would like to be remembered for somebody that genuinely cared about people's careers and made a difference in helping them. That's and and that doesn't have to be the world. It could just be a few people who were like she genuinely cared and made a difference to me in my career. And then I'd be like, that's that's enough. <laughs>
1: love it love it and and finally for any listeners that might be thinking about setting up a business one day doing a big career pivot potentially or just maybe moving in their own organization what final piece of advice would you leave them with
0: i would say run your own race which is a quote that i refer to a lot and reflect on in my own career like do what's right for you in your way at your pace and try to avoid being led too much by comparison or expectation just you know, run your own race and you'll find your way through.
1: Helen, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy having you on the 40 Minute Mentor and I know our listeners will have found that super insightful and really inspiring. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: We really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your audience.
1: Cheers. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor, and if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info@jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.